0: Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, episode 14. Today is uh, Sunday, April 6, 2014. My name is Sebastien Couture. I'm a user experience designer and developer from Canada and I'm based in Lille, France. I'm also the founder and organizer of Bitcoin Talks Lille. And uh, I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us today for our 14th episode. Um, so today is a little different because Brian's not here. Brian is actually on vacation right now. Uh, I'm sure he's uh, in the sun somewhere. So, uh, <laughs> and um, we are fortunate enough to have uh, a very special guest as a guest host, Jaren uh of CoinSetter. Hi, Jaren. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much for coming on at such uh, short notice. Uh, so when Brian told me he was going on vacation and that I should be, I should find a co-host, uh, I immediately contacted you. Uh, thought that uh, you would uh, be an interesting um, guest host, given your particular. Uh, well, given that you work at a, at a that you run an exchange um, and uh, kind of the financial side of Bitcoin, uh, which we rarely have the opportunity to cover in such depth. Uh, could you just kind of tell us um, what you do in the Bitcoin ecosystem and present yourself? Sure.
1: Yeah. So uh, our company Coinsetter is a low latency, high uptime, high performance uh, Bitcoin exchange. Um, I would call it an ECN. Uh, we're based in New York City. Um, you, know, we, we, you know, most of our users right now are, uh, you know, more active traders. Um, but the system we've built is uh, ultimately targeted towards, uh, you know, uh, Wall Street institutional hedge funds um, and uh, as well as, you know, uh, Bitcoin payment processors, ATMs. And, uh, and then, you know, I think also we're, uh, essentially a plug and play option for, uh, you know, brokerage houses and then also again, hedge funds. Um, you know, we're, we haven't, uh, officially announced it yet, but, um, in the coming weeks, we'll, uh, we'll be announcing our, our fix API, which, uh, really turns us into a plug and play option for, uh, a lot of these more active traders so that they can take the, uh, um, the trading uh, systems that they use in other markets and connect that to Bitcoin liquidity that, that we can offer
0: them. So your, your clients are institutional or institutional traders or uh, specifically Bitcoin traders? Um, what's your client base like?
1: Right now, it's definitely uh, the more active side of uh, of you know just traditional Bitcoin traders, um, people who have probably traded on other exchanges or used other services in the space. Um, but you know wh- what we can offer is a-, a whole lot of liquidity, but also um, very low latency, a well structured API, and uh, and then you know just I think really appealing customer support, and uh, and you know the fact that we're based in New York City also helps for. Um, a lot of our U.S. users who um, will either stop by our office and meet us or, or whatnot. And, uh, and we have a pretty cool office, so it's usually a pretty good time. But, um, you know, uh, I would say, you know, right now that's where the market is at. But we, we definitely have a, a growing number of hedge funds reaching out to us, trying to learn more about Bitcoin. Um, we have two smaller ones that are uh, actively coding to our fixed API right now. So, uh, I, you know, I think that it's it's sort of uh, just the beginning of of uh, institutional Wall Street coming into Bitcoin. But over the next twelve months, especially as regulation uh, gets settled, um, you know, I I see a huge, huge amount of interest uh, coming coming into the space.
0: So, what's been your experience with like institutional traders coming into the Bitcoin space? How's that been like? Well,
1: I would say. They're, they're definitely very smart people who ask a lot of very good questions. And, um, you know, I think one of the biggest Bitcoin right now, uh, operates just so differently from, uh, other, other spaces, other, um, you know, if you trade commodities or FX, you know, Bitcoin just, uh, it's, it's very different. And I think a lot of guys have a hard time understanding that you can't really short the market. Um, you, uh, um, I think the banking situation still, you know, we have a lot of work to do as an industry, uh, regulation. Uh, it's very, you know, one, I think, you know, when you look at the traders currently in the space, they're all trading on their personal accounts. Um, so it might be a hedge fund manager, but in the end it's just kind of his own money. Right. Um, what you really want to see is a, a change where these, these guys feel comfortable, uh, taking their regulated investor funds and placing those on a Bitcoin exchange, and how does that happen? And the changes that need to happen—those Th- are things that we're really working on, both on like uh, how we structure the banking side uh, beyond what we're currently doing, but then also, um, you know, we're in the process of uh, applying for uh, a bit license. Um, we have some, you know, partnership discussions in the, in the works as well. And so, you know, no matter what happens, uh, I expect, uh, you know, six months from now for our company to, um, you know, ha- have be showing some major improvement there on the regulatory side and have uh, uh, regulatory licensing of, of some sort that, uh, uh, you know, uh, allows us to give a lot of these uh, very serious institutional investors comfort that, you know, they're placing, uh, placing funds not just in, like, safe hands that they can trust, but, like, they don't even have to trust us because it's so obvious that, you know, we're regulated in a way that, um, you know, we, we really can't F up.
0: Okay. I see. And so the, the types of services that you provide at CoinSetter would essentially make it so that a, an institutional investor that comes into w- – wants to get into Bitcoin – can get up and running uh, with very little, with a very little learning curve as uh, as uh, with regards to the platforms that he already uses. I mean, I know very little about this kind of stuff. <laughs> These questions might sound a little stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so your your uh, Coinsetter essentially makes it very easy for an institutional investor to come into Bitcoin. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to put it. And you know, right now it's it. You know, I'm I am really happy with the technology we've built. Like we our platform is is very low latency. It uh, um you know is just it performing really well. Um you know the next step is you know I. Uh, so you're you're joking about asking stupid questions, but that's like no, just because nice I, I have like
0: zero financial economical background, <laughs> so <laughs> uh,
1: it's it's all good. I, I've made no, this but... clear
0: on the podcast before. I mean, uh, so as, as opposed no, but... to Brian, who's who's uh who's got a background in, in economics and a lot of guests we, that we had on sometimes, uh yeah, yeah,
1: no, but that that's my entire life is uh, trying to figure out stuff that I have no clue about, and uh, um you know I think that I being located in New York city and having these guys, you know, being able having access to so many of, of these guys who are so successful already. Um, you know, it, it's, it's been a great learning experience so that we can provide something that, I, you know, I think aren't super intuitive and, you know, definitely no, there, there's certain things both on the banking and regulatory sides that no Bitcoin exchange is offering right now. Such as? Yeah. Um, you know, I'd probably not want to go super into it, um, okay. just for like our own competitive reasons. But uh, you know, I, I would say on, on the banking side, for instance, it's it's pretty uncommon to, as a hedge fund, to wire funds to a foreign bank account that um, is in the name of of the the company. So, like the exchange, you know, uh, things work a little bit differently uh, on on. The institutional Wall Street level, and you know those are things that we'll we'll be working on replicating over over the coming uh, um, coming months.
0: Cool. Uh, well, maybe uh, before we get into the topics, uh, just something I want to talk about uh, real quick. Uh, so, to all our listeners, if you could just right now stop what you're doing. I mean, I don't I don't mean stop listening to the podcast, but you know, if you're working or I don't know maybe uh, working out in your living room or doing your dishes uh if you could go to your computer uh launch iTunes and give us a review <laughs> so uh we are asking our listeners to uh, review us on iTunes it would really uh, help us out and uh we'd really appreciate it if you could give us honest feedback on, you know um it really helps us uh, uh to better understand how we how our content is uh um, I mean, if 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 you appreciate our content, and also helps for new listeners that come on to uh, get a better idea of uh, whether or not they want to listen to our show. So, uh, if you could go on iTunes and just give us a review, an honest review, we'd really appreciate it. And also, uh, please send us your feedback um, and questions and topics that you want us to talk about. We're, um, you know, Brian and I were really trying to build a uh, uh, an uh, community audience. Uh, based podcast and so we really appreciate your feedback so if you could send us your feedback at epicenterbitcoin at gmail.com we'd really appreciate it you know let us know what you think are there topics that you want us to discuss do you have any questions is it too long is it too short uh whatever you think uh whatever you want to let us know about the podcast uh whether if you like it if you don't i mean we we want your feedback so if you could send us your feedback at epicenterbitcoin at gmail.com we would really appreciate it or on Twitter also, uh, epicenter BTC. So, yeah, we were discussing this just before the show. There's not a lot of news this week. It's been kind of a slow news week uh, in terms of really interesting news. Um, but I, I still, I wanted to kind of get your impression on these uh, IRS guidelines that came out, uh, I guess, about 10 days ago. We had an opportunity to discuss this with uh, Sean Jones last week. We went into quite a... Lengthly details and as to um, how this is going to affect uh, mostly consumers, I guess. But you know, from your perspective, um, running an exchange, how does this? How is this going to affect your business? I mean, where you're already, uh, yeah. So how is it, how is it going to affect your business, really?
1: Sure. Um, you know, so I I think that a lot of this were we kind of saw coming. Um, we're still in the you know, early stages of trying to figure out, um, exactly what, uh, what kind of, uh, reporting we need to, uh, give to our customers in terms of their, uh, profit and loss calculation and, and, uh, any sort of taxable gains, um, reporting that we need to provide them with. But, and those are things that we'll be, we'll be working on in the coming months, um you know, in, in the meantime, you know, I, I know that there are a couple of companies uh, emerging right now that, you know, can help people, uh, uh, you know, kind of keep track of their Bitcoin profits and losses and spending. And, um, you know, it, it, I, I have a lot of confidence that um, this will get figured out and companies are going to come out and, and find ways to help people uh, uh, track this in the near term, it's, I think, you know, a bit of a pain for, it's, it's like pretty obvious that you're going to have to pay uh, uh, taxes on, on your gain, Bitcoin gains in general. But, um, you know, I think figuring out uh, what your actual profit, what your actual taxable gain is can be difficult, especially if, you know, you've been just sending Bitcoins versus paying Bitcoins. Like, it, it is difficult to trade to track, um, and I think that will get easier over the next year. As an exchange, I expect us to, um, you know, have have to make similar reports to what like a a, uh, a brokerage house like Charles Schwab would have to do.
0: I was thinking about this. So uh, obviously, you, you uh, the exchange, you, know, you you have to declare any any kind of gains that you make. But for your customers, are you held to? having to give them the tools to effectively calculate or figure out what what their gains are. Like, how does that work? I mean, is it, does that, does that already exist uh, in institutional trading or, or is it up to them to figure it out? Um, You know, it's a little early for me to
1: uh, speculate on that, but I mean, I, I believe that there are uh, requirements. Uh, I'm not sure that we, in terms of like the Bitcoin space, what we do have requirements yet, but we might, uh, we're trying to figure that out now. Um, but you know, it obviously, uh, Bitcoins are meant to be sent. So that's going to provide a a level of complication to any sort of reporting we can do. Um, but you know, uh, we're, we're going to through the course of the year be hiring counsel that can, can, uh, help us uh, have a better understanding of, of what we need to provide our customers.
0: I see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, how, how, how do you, when you, when you heard these uh, when, when you read these guidelines that came out, I mean, what was your reaction? I mean, were you, were you surprised or were you already kind of in line with what the guidelines say?
1: Uh, yeah. I've been telling people for the last six months that like, if you spend your Bitcoins, you have a taxable gain and, Uh, you know, six months ago, everyone laughed at me or got pissed off. And, uh, and then, you know, here we are today and the IRS is, you know, uh, confirming that. And it, you know, I think that a lot of people were kind of like running off of hope that, you know, Bitcoin would never be taxed. But, and I mean, in the end, like people are still going to, some people are going to try to not report their gains and whatnot. But, you know, it's, it just kind of comes down to, um, you know, I, I, I would rather live a life where I don't have to, like, fear that um, I'm doing something wrong the wrong way. So, um, you know, I think it's a complication on, you know, kind of tracking where you're spending Bitcoins and and whatnot. But uh, I think someone will come out with a a fairly elegant solution to to do it.
0: Yeah, well, that's interesting because you know, for, for, I guess it depends who you are. I mean, if, if you're a business or if you're an investor or a hedge fund, uh, I, th- I think that y- you, you have quite an interest in protecting yourself and making sure that you're, like you say, you're not living a life where you're afraid of things that you're not doing right. But if you're just like Joe, everybody, and you're buying and selling bitcoins and maybe you're making a little bit of money or even like, I was thinking about this a while ago, like say you buy bitcoins from someone say on local bitcoins you pay them in cash and then you turn around and buy like an expensive piece of jewelry after your bitcoins have doubled or tripled in price with bitcoin like how how is the IRS going to enforce that like how can they even enforce that at, at a consumer level and we're talking I'm not even talking about like buying a cup of coffee or or anything like that i mean i just don't see how of course, like this is this this is law that already exists, right? This is just a guideline to say, okay, this is how we interpret the law. This is how it's been all the whole time. Like you should have figured it out by yourself. Essentially, this is what the guideline uh, means. But like the IRS, how could how could they even perceive that people are gonna f- are, are gonna follow this? Like uh, knowing that people use Bitcoin as a currency.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, know, a lot of people will probably get away with that, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, 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 would fear if I were giving advice to anyone on it is, uh, you know, maybe you will get away with it, but if, if, you know, the government is ever looking for a reason to catch you on something down the road, um, you know, they, and they know that you're active in Bitcoin, then they could probably later do the math and, and, you know, create a case that would, uh, would show tax fraud. So, you know, I would, I would err on the side of, uh, you know, just like figuring out a way to track it and then doing mm-hmm.
0: it. Well, see, that's, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something, but, you know, get, take that example that I, that I just said. So say you, you buy Bitcoin from someone with, with cash. Okay. And then you turn around and you buy something like an expensive piece of jewelry or maybe, I don't know, whatever, anything that I guess is not registered anywhere, like property or a car or a house. Uh, How, I mean, uh, how would the IRS, I guess you have to show a receipt, right? If you get audited, is that how they would figure it out? Yeah.
1: Well, if you're running a a coffee shop and you only accept cash, how is the IRS going to, uh, you know, uh, monitor how much cash you're making.
0: I yeah, mean, get in the
1: end yeah. it's, you know, it's, well, yeah, you have receipts, but they're, I mean, you know, people run cash businesses all the time and, and don't necessarily report to the IRS correctly. So, you know, I mean, I think you yeah. can ask these questions anyway on a number of other issues. Um, you know, it comes down to some, some are going to report properly and others aren't. And the ones who don't, are, are going to be at risk. And, you know, I mean, I hate like taking the side of, you know, like the man and, uh, Don't and, be like, the, man. the, <laughs> the beat down on this. <laughs> but I mean, like, if you're looking for the realistic answer, it's like, um, you know, that that's kind of, it, it's, you know, it's gray. I mean, the law is black and white and people are going to operate g- gray if they choose to. Yeah, And, uh, I would, you know, some people will get away with that. Others won't. And the ones who won't will wish that they had uh, reported properly. So, I mean, I I don't know. This is uh, probably not the, the most, uh, you know, uh, fun thing that people like to hear about, Um, but it's, it just kind of comes down to, you know, you have to make your, your own choice on what you're going to do.
0: No. And I'm not saying that people should not, uh, comply with the law. And I mean, who am I? I mean, I don't even live in the U S (laughs) so, but I'm, I'm not saying people shouldn't comply with the law. I'm just saying like, I don't know how the IRS thinks they, they'll be able to enforce this. And also that aside, it's, it seems to me that it's that. It's so It would be so easy to screw up and like – because it's still unclear to me how people are actually going to go about figuring out which Bitcoins they bought and which Bitcoins they sold at what time. And like this is the whole question, right? Like how do you actually calculate your gains when, when maybe you're using Bitcoin, like maybe you bought like one Bitcoin and that Bitcoin gets sold – Uh, I mean, I'm using sold in air quotes by buying goods and services and divided up into many smaller portions. Like, how do you calculate the gains that you're making on that when the price varies every day? I mean, I think for for just regular people that are using Bitcoin all the time, um, you know, I guess that's pretty rare. But for people that are using Bitcoin to just buy goods and services down the road, this could be potentially just a mess to – trying to figure out like, okay, so I made like this much on this portion of Bitcoin that I bought. And I I think that's still kind of unclear. What what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I think there are laws that are already written that handle these scenarios. And there's just not a lot of information out there yet. So um, my guess is that people will create uh, services that make it really easy to calculate, you know, what your gains are and,
0: and uh, act accordingly. Yeah. Well, do you think that uh, down the road there could be perhaps, I mean, I guess anybody could speculate on this, but uh, actual uh, Bitcoin and crypto I mean, cryptocurrency, digital currency tax law come into effect the next few years. Is that something that's foreseeable or do you think that we're always going to be, I mean, in the US at least, uh, having to deal with um, having Bitcoin as a as property? Um i mean it's uh anyone's guess i think that
1: the i r s made a ruling and that you know calling uh calling it property is probably pretty reasonable um i don't I don't necessarily see why
0: why that would change so i don't i don't know i mean say let's let's say that digital currencies do become mainstream uh i mean at some point they're going to become an everyday currency right if if they do become mainstream and it would just be difficult for people to have to i mean even the government would recognize it as, as currency then right if people are using it every day to buy goods and services and um, it doesn't really fall into that property category anymore it falls into some sort of like you know foreign currency or something like that yeah, but now, now you're getting
1: into something that I always debate, which is will Bitcoin be used as a currency, or will it be used as a, a a payment commodity that is used to facilitate transactions over the pro like over over the network, and like that's what I lean towards. So like maybe I'm completely wrong, and people in the U.S., like in third world countries, I think the the use case for Bitcoin as a Uh, currency is is totally there but in the u.s like what kind of consumer wants to take price risk on you know you still have to buy the bitcoin so there's a cost in that and then you have to take price risk and you may lose a ton of money like i i don't necessarily think that that's a whole lot better than the current like using venmo to pay your friend back or some Mm -hmm. of the other uh payment options out there because if you take i mean If you look from a consumer perspective, not the merchant perspective, but, you know, the consumer perspective, you know, you you actually get paid to use your credit card. You know, you get points and uh, rewards are a really important thing. With Bitcoin, like, I I just think that there's uh, other than uh, the long, other than some of these less tangible benefits that are um, not, I think, super relevant to what most Americans would perceive today, Um, you know, maybe if we have like massive inflation, that'll change. But, uh, you know, I think based on the world today, uh, Bitcoin actually has a way to go in terms of like how, how, if people were going to hold Bitcoin and use as a currency, I think much more likely is, you know, you have a lot of companies that you expand, you keep development, developing the, the, uh, the protocol, uh, the the payment protocol is super super important and you know you're starting to see bits and pieces of that being developed and you know when that really gets finished you know you uh, uh, I I think that there's a ton of potential for you can really start to see the potential of Bitcoin displacing Visa and MasterCard at that point and it, most people still think that sounds crazy but you really can start to see it when you read into what they're doing on the payment protocol so you know, assuming that's the case, I mean, I see a world where people hold dollars in their bank account and then pay for stuff over the Bitcoin network. And in that, behind the scenes was an exchange, and you know, the payment processor takes care of all that, but like, the consumer never actually held the Bitcoin themselves, um, and, and they never took price risk on it. They just paid a fee, and that fee is based on a lot of things happening behind the scenes, um, you know how much does the exchange cost what's the volatility and how's that uh, affecting the spread stuff like that but over time you know you can definitely see a world where you know uh you know you're paying network fees uh, payment processors are paying like 0.1% or something like that just uh very
0: low that's really interesting i I've, I've actually never heard anybody put it that way where you say that um people would hold dollars in their bank accounts and just use Bitcoin as, as a, as a a tool for payment. Yep.
1: And that, yeah, that, that, that's why it's important because, uh, you know, I, I always get back to the protocol. Like the protocol is why this is important. And it's also the reason why Bitcoin exists because in theory, a better protocol would be just to have something denominated in fiat. If you're, if you're just talking about the payment network, I'm not getting political here, but
0: uh, oh please! Like,
1: <laughs> well, no, because I, I don't think it makes sense. Of, it doesn't necessarily. Uh, I, um, I think it, it doesn't overlap with the, um, this, the business argument. Yeah. like the business argument would be: let's just have let's have a new Bitcoin that is denominated in dollars, and the problem. So you could say that, and it would be awesome, and people would have these really cheap payments, and uh, and it would be great, and all, but in the end we we're talking about a protocol here so a protocol is something where everyone agrees upon something and then agrees agrees to do things the same way and and so you know if you had that protocol it's it's hugely flawed because you have to trust an institution and who can you trust and you can't you certainly can't send things internationally and you know not everyone would know where their Bitcoin, like, you know, if my uh, dollar Bitcoin, my dollar coins are backed by JP Morgan, um, you know, and I want to go send funds to you in France right now, uh, you know, you would probably have a lot of trouble accepting my, uh, my currency because you'd be saying, well, how, how, like, I don't actually know that it's even being held in JP Morgan. Like there'd be all these issues with Bitcoin. You know, we've, we've stripped it down and we've said, okay, here's the protocol. We'll, we'll, uh, it, you know, we want to send money this way. And because on the bare minimum, it didn't, it didn't have a currency underneath it that in a way gave value to the Bitcoin itself. And, uh, and so like, you know, people look at Bitcoin as a currency but I really look at Bitcoin having value because the payment network has value and, and is better than other methods of, of paying people. And so, um, you know, when, when you can kind of get to that level, um, you know, people, people have taken something that's kind of bare bones. And I mean, Bitcoin has so much cool stuff in it. I mean, stuff like multi-sig and scripting that hasn't even been uh, really developed too much yet. Right. It hasn't really
0: um, been exploited that much, the scripting aspect.
1: Yeah, the scripting has like almost not been developed at all. MultiSig are starting to see, which is very cool. Um, but uh, you know, I think it is. I mean, it's you know, it's it's the beginning, but uh, it. I think if if people really focus on that that payment protocol, at you know, I think people just jump two steps ahead, and like that the protocol, the technology that's a really important thing that's a huge innovation it does by consequence I mean it was created with these you know these like you know political undertones and that that's that is why it came to be so you can't completely untie the currency aspect of it or maybe just like the digital asset you know like you can't hmm. uh, you know having an asset that can't be confiscated and it's yours like those those are intrinsically tied into the asset you um, but, you know, in, in the end, uh, uh, you know, I think I think you just need to when you're actually applying Bitcoin to a use case, uh, it it's important to to like, I think, go back to basics.
0: No, no, no. And I, I, and I really agree. And I, I think it's an interesting kind of point of view to have, because, like you say, a lot of times when we. Uh, evangelize about Bitcoin as we do, us Bitcoin people, and we'll, we'll talk about all that kind of you know, uh, not political stuff, but that, uh, you know, the the fa- like you say, you know, the, the fact that you can't uh, take it from anyone, that uh, it's it's borderless, uh, it's not uh, corruptible, you know, those kind of things, but um, yeah, the payment side of it all all often gets kind of not pushed aside, but overshadowed by all this other kind of ideological stuff. Um,
1: Well, I think uh, it's, it's interesting because um, in the early days people didn't really want to focus on the payment network or the, or the technology, you know I mean? It really was a political thing and, uh, and that's what got people excited about it. I mean, you know, you're talking about uh, like you're, it had a real need, Yeah. And that's why, you know, people focused on the use cases. It's actually like makes a ton of sense. The best, um, you know, anyone who's, you know, selling a product should, you know, is usually selling it on the, like, how does it help you? Not the cool technology that's underneath it. Or, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, that, so that, that kind of was everything that was written about Bitcoin in the early days. Um, and, and, you know, I think we still see a lot of the remnants today, but, um, yeah, but they, they they continue to be valid. also, you know, uh, they do. I, I would love to see Bitcoin being used in developing countries way more than it is today. And I think it's probably just so early and things don't happen overnight. And I, I do believe that it'll get there, but, um, you know, the, uh, the, I don't I don't necessarily like to argue for something on the use case that uh, like uh, this is probably just because I live in America and live like this peachy peachy life. But um, but it's like, you know, a lot of a lot of the people who were talking about Bitcoin in the early days talking about how like um, it it is unconfiscatable assets and the government can't track it and all this stuff like they weren't. Aren't really like doing it for noble causes, um, you know. I think when you start to get to developing countries with bad, truly bad governments, and uh, and you know maybe uh, tons of warlords who are stealing money from the population, like then like those political undertones really start to mean something to me. But when you look at a lot of the early guys in Bitcoin, like these are also people who, <coughs> excuse me, were you know kind of living in first world countries and I mean, their, their problems were super first world problems. So, um, you know, I mean, it's not that I disagree with them because I I certainly, uh, share a lot of their viewpoints as well. But, um, I think people like to put themselves in this industry on, on a pedestal and, you know, talk about how, uh, they, they kind of give the same, uh, feel that like someone living in, in like a very dangerous part of Africa should be giving. But it's like they're, they're not that same person. They don't really have those same problems. Um, some of them probably do. So, um, you know, this, this, that isn't targeted towards them. But, um, you know, ultimately, it, I, I would love to see a lot more traction. And, um, and you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure what it'll take to get there. Certainly, um, you know, people devoting, uh, you know, to charitable causes that are, 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 you know, purely meant to distribute Bitcoin in third world countries. Like, um, you know, if you gave out cell phones that had the Bitcoin app installed on it, I think that would actually be like really cool. I'm not sure what the pricing is on that, but, um, you know, doing, doing stuff like that. And I'm, uh, you know, if anyone's doing it, uh, I'd love to hear about it. Cause, uh, that, that would be very, very cool, um, but uh, you know at at Coinsetter, we're mostly focused on uh, on developing Bitcoin as as this use case is applied to you know really America and how people will be using it here. and uh, and I think when you look at the the space we operate in, um, you know it is a little um interesting to have come you know so far in in a year and a half, you know, a year and a half ago when when we were uh, starting the company. Uh, it, you know, Bitcoin was just such a different place. The reasons why we were, what we were building and the reasons why we are building it were, were a bit different. And today it's, you know, really focused on, I think Bitcoin has changed quite a bit since then. And, um, you know, as, as we look at its use case in, in the U.S., um, I think, you know, what people get really excited about is um, A, uh, you know, displacing various types of payment networks and credit card companies um, and then I think that's becoming a real thing. Uh, and then B, um, you know, I think the remittance side, and you know, it, I mean, that is exciting because as we can grow the remittance remittance side, we'll see uh, in in other countries on the receiving end, people may not convert their money back uh, into their local fiat; they may h- just hold the Bitcoin. And then you can really start to see some uh, some interesting things happen on the on the currency side.
0: Yeah, I mean but for that to happen uh local markets need to develop first
1: um yes
0: yeah, uh, yeah. but that's a given <laughs> i don't know how we got the how, how we got this deep into into uh uh into this topic when we were, we started talking about IRS guidelines <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I think when you start talking about regulation, it just kind of always devolves into some sort of political debate.
0: Yeah, and and, I mean, you got to consider also. I mean, you're coming from the U.S. Uh, I I live in here. Brian and I live in here in Europe. I think the um, the use case for Bitcoin just between the U.S. and and Europe might also be different. You know, not even forget about the third world. Obviously, the, the, you know, the U.S. and Europe has, have very developed banking, uh, infrastructure and we don't have the same kind of needs as, um, developing countries. But, uh, for instance, you know, in, in Europe, there's, was, there's was quite a few, um, cities or counties that have like local currency. Um, I think a bit more than in the U.S. And I see that as kind of, I see cryptocurrency as kind of, uh, an alternative to those and, and, um, So I think there's different use cases, even between like developed um, nations and continents. Yeah, for sure. Maybe we should talk about uh, China uh, real quick. This kind of segues into the China stories. So this week, well, there's been a lot of news about China this last little while. So we've kind of went back and forth about this and. Uh, since December with the Chinese Central Bank um, issuing statements and kind of warning um, exchanges and companies dealing with Bitcoin uh, and also saying that Bitcoin shouldn't be used as a currency. Um, And there's been a lot of speculation as to what's going to happen there. It's obviously had a lot of effect on the price. And so this week, um, the Chinese Central Bank uh, effectively – Clamp down on Bitcoin and is now, and so now a bunch of exchanges are pulling out, uh, for instance, BTC 38 announced that uh, the company was suspending, um, the use of its third party payment processor due to the central bank policy. And so the, we've seen the price like really be affected by this. And I wanted to get your, yeah, your impressions on this. And you know, are we at a, a sort of, floor, uh, in terms of how low we can go for the Bitcoin price, can can the Bitcoin price bounce back from this? I mean, I I think that most of the, I mean, other than the Mt. Gox story, uh, the news out of China has had probably the most significant impact on, on uh, the Bitcoin price. Where do you see this going?
1: Yeah. Um, I agree. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say if we bottomed or not, but uh, Bitcoin historically has always has always been really resilient, and uh, this does seem to be another case of it. Um, you know, no one loves to see Bitcoin at four fifty, and you know who knows it'll it's they going to double right now, or it's going to shoot to three hundred. So we we have no clue. But um, I what I feel is that um, you know you just given you know the continued banking situation, especially the events this week. In China, um, you know, anytime something like that happens, that's going to have a, a pretty drastic effect on the trading that's going on in China, and and all of the trading going on in China is speculative right now. So, um, you know, when when I look at the the Bitcoin price now, you know, I think that the worst of the China situation, unless they ban it outright, because um, you know, I mean, BTC China came out this week, uh, you know, saying that. Uh, you know, everything's cool. And, uh, and so
0: it's, you yeah, know, but Bobby securities. Lee always says, everything's cool. That's, 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 <laughs> just, that's all he knows how to say is, like uh, they think it's fine. Like, you know, they're, they're going to shut down Bitcoin in China. They're going to like put up their firewalls and like Bitcoin traffic is going to be blocked and you'll be like, no, no, Bitcoin's fine in China.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it does seem to be hopeful strategy, but, yeah. um, You know, so you hear, like, kind of conflicting statements, but in the end, um, actions speak louder than words. And, you know, you're watching uh, uh, multiple exchanges have their accounts shut down. So, um, you know, uh, I I think it would definitely hurt Bitcoin, the Bitcoin price to see uh, China outlawed outright. Um, I... You know, I have no clue if that will happen, but I suspect it won't. I suspect they'll keep Bitcoin, but put immense capital controls on the exchanges there. Um, Do you think this is not going and-
0: to be – I mean they haven't banned it, but you can't – the only way you can buy it right now is through services like Local Bitcoin, right? And I mean you, the only way you, – you can't use it to buy products and services. like Other than banning it, how else I – mean, how much more can they – hurt it like it's i think that they don't want to ban it because they want to see uh where where it's going you know and they don't want to take action right away these are just kind of measures to suppress it so that it doesn't get big enough so that they can lose control over it and they're they're taking a kind of wait and see approach uh before they take like really um definitive action whether banning it or imposing you know maybe 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 they're uh, taking this time to write laws and, you know, in, in fact, uh, uh, put in place regulation. Yeah. Put that, regulation could be. In place.
1: Um, that really wouldn't surprise me either. Um, it, I, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of get the feeling that they, it just wouldn't be that smart to ban Bitcoin altogether because, um, it's like they, they have so much more to, gain from accepting it and allowing it. Um, but I, I really, I think that they are pretty scared about, uh, it, you know, it being used for what I would call like their equivalent of money laundering, which is like pulling more than their capital restrictions, right. uh, uh, allow. Which so, is
0: what, like $10,000 or something like that?
1: Yeah, I thought it was a little bit more than that, but it is pretty low. Um, it's, you know, like, uh, 50k, I thought, but, um, I'm, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, but, you know, regardless, it's not a whole lot of money. And the people who have the power to, to create large amounts of capital flows, uh, you know, have way more than $50,000 there. They have, yeah. uh, you know, 50 million. So that, that's like what would really scare them. And Bitcoin is, you know, a good way to, uh, to to do that, um, so you know, I, I think they are probably nervous about it, and they're tr- going to place capital constriction restrictions on on the exchanges there. I just don't see how they couldn't. Um, and and the alternative is all the you know exchanges there will probably just be closed down. So you know, I I definitely hope that doesn't happen. Uh, I think that they'll they'll go for some sort of regulatory approach, but uh, you know, it's so hard to say. But in the end, I think like you know. With, if, as long as it just isn't shut down completely, you, uh, you know, there, I think most of the worst is kind of behind us there. And, you know, you can look at the current price. And I think, like, you know, I, I kind of base Bitcoin on, uh, you know, what is, what, what's the volume being done that's like as a legitimate transaction for, or like a money transfer Versus just like someone arbing the exchanges or more speculative uh, purchases, and you know of Bitcoin. So um, you know, I think you look at the current price, and it would still be fairly optimistic, but kind of reasonable for you know the amount of transaction volume that's going through the system right now. Um, you know, I think if if the if China hadn't, uh, uh, you know, kind of. It, it, pushed the, the first bubble, you know, pushed demand so high that, you know, the, the price spiked, uh, you know, a few months back, um, you know, this is probably where, where we would be at anyway. So, um, you know, it, it's hard to say like on the micro level, because I think most of us think that Bitcoin's going to 2000 in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months anyway. But uh, until then, um, you know, it, uh, it does seem like we're, we're at least kind of getting to that low point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you I, th- I think that they they don't have an interest in banning it uh, outright uh, I, I don't see that happening just because it, it, it would be like you know, it, it would be foolish for them to do that because it, there's such um, op- there's lots of opportunities there of course they want to try to control the money that comes out of the country but um, so what's what's happening with BC, BCC China you mentioned them I, I, I didn't really follow what, what
1: um, Well, they're, uh, uh, I believe that they still are, they still have some sort of bank funding option. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, and everything they're saying, everything's peachy clean. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's the news right now. It's just, uh, it does seem to be a bit of an outlier versus what's going on with
0: some of the other exchanges. And so the other exchanges, I mean, if they're not taking payments anymore. They can just pretty much close down, right? Like B- BTC 38. I don't know what's going to happen there, but if they can't take money and they can't withdraw money, like what's you know what I mean? Like how, how can they continue to operate?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Mount got it for a long time, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose. But, um, mm, you can
1: you can always have speculative trading
0: because that's all mm. it is in
1: China. So it's like, right, right. to me, if if uh, something like that happened to to Bitstamp, that would be just a, like a, a huge critical issue for the whole industry. But if you know if that happens to a, some speculative exchange where all the trading is just people trading against each other, speculating on the price anyway, like. It isn't as much of a critical issue, um, just because they don't need that steady uh, banking uh, banking flow. Like if you if you saw a lot of payment processing going on in China, then you would say, okay, well the payment processors or the companies accepting Bitcoin will have to uh, offload their Bitcoin and pay for their bills. So they need an exchange where they can do that, and uh, then they need to be able to receive a bank transfer for right, the funds. Right. Um, but in China, I think that you just see a you see a whole lot less of it. I think it's almost just an entirely speculative market right now. Hm.
0: So where um, where do you think the price is going to go? <laughs> no, I mean uh, that's that's not a serious question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, let's say. China does. Let's just speculate here and say that uh, China, China does ban Bitcoin. Um, then, then, I guess the price would probably go down a lot more, right? Yeah, yeah, it'd probably go to three hundred. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and what what do you think can? Because uh, there's been such. Like it, the last few, there's lots, been lots of good news in the last few months, but there's been lots of bad news also. Obviously, Mt. Gox and, and all this news coming out of China has had lots of negative effects on the price. Do you, do you have any idea right now, like what kind of news could really kind of boost Bitcoin's price? Is it like, you know, Amazon starts accepting it? Is it, uh, like, what, 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 what kind of,
1: you know, what, what um, makes the price go to $2,000, you know, like you said? uh it's a couple of things and it always comes down to market forces like in the end the fact that uh uh what was it both stripe and square announced uh, this week that they're they're integrating bitcoin payments like i can't think of a more exciting thing to invest on right now like that that's such a big deal and uh and you know uh over time uh you know if investors don't want to uh, to, if that doesn't cause investors to buy in, well, uh, you know the only, in the end, like those, if, if this is real and people are going to be using the Bitcoin network to for these for facilitating these purchases, whether by paying through Bitcoin or you know just a greater uh, app system develops that makes it you know compelling to use Bitcoin over your, uh, you know your Amex, which gives you uh, sick rewards. Um, so people like actually want to do this. Um, if you start seeing that, you're going to see that reflected in the Bitcoin price because there'll be so much more demand for, for Bitcoin. Um, you know, people, if, if the payment network grows, then the Bitcoin price is going to grow as well. So, um, so, you know, I think over the long run, this will all be reflected in the price. Uh, and, and that's, I mean, I would love Bitcoin to shoot up to 2000 right now. Um, for uh, you know, just my own uh, <laughs> greedy personal reasons, but <laughs> uh, but in yeah. the end, like yeah, <laughs> but uh, it, you know, in the end, uh, the way I really want Bitcoin to grow is is uh, legitimately through providing real value to people. Um, you know, I think even today, um, you know, most of the ways people pay with Bitcoin, it's it's slightly gimmicky, and yeah. oh, that's just not how I I. That's not going to be sustainable. So, um, in in order for for Bitcoin to have, you know improve the world, have the effects that we all all like to talk about, um, you know, you you do want to see huge growth in in usage, and uh, and that in the end is not going to come through like sexy uh, ways, like some cool company accepts it. It's it's going to come through the most boring way possible, which is. It's it's an underlying payment network. Like, I, probably very few people listening to this have heard of the Star Payment Network, and that's because it's extreme, it's an extremely boring topic. But if if Bitcoin can get to that that level of boringness, then uh, you know Bitcoin is probably at at ten mm. thousand.
0: What, what's the Star Payment Network? <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah if you, uh, if you if you if uh, you take your debit card and. Uh, Um, and then turn it over, you'll see, uh, the star payment network and, you know, it allows you to use your, uh, your, your debit card at a variety of ATM machines across the world.
0: Oh, I see. So it's, uh, okay.
1: Yeah. So you, you can see, uh, how, if you just replace the word star with Bitcoin and then go to a Bitcoin ATM, how there, there's a huge amount of, of overlap there, except that, um, you know, we can, you know, Probably reduce fees substantially.
0: Well, I guess uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens in China, and and we just we know that Bobby Lee will always be there to <laughs> to uh, let us know that everything's fine. <laughs> um. So just before we get to our last topic, maybe we should just talk about this really quick because it's kind of interesting <clears throat> and important for. Uh, everyday Bitcoin use, I suppose, for a large majority of people. So th- this startup um, claims that they have a way to install uh, a Bitcoin wallet on iPhone. So so the, the company is called uh, Avalonic... Yeah, Avalonic. And so they announced this week that they've got this new product called BitStore, which uh, essentially allows you to install a Bitcoin wallet on your iPhone. And so the way that it does this, from what I understand and from what I can gather, is that so you install this BitStore app, which is um, which is basically a web app. So, you know, when you go... Uh, you can install a web app in your iPhone. So you go to Safari and you say "Add to Bookmarks" and you say like "Add to Home Screen" and that adds the website to your home screen and kind of installs it as a uh, an app without a, without the Safari interface around it. So this uh, Bit Store is kind of like that. And then uh, within that Bit Store web app, they've got other applications, other web apps that you can buy or install. Uh, and this is completely just like um without having to go through the Apple I, uh, iTunes store. And so I think it's in beta right now, but it seems promising because it seems like an easy way to get um, – bitcoin into iphone users hands like for now if you're an iphone user you have to use like either the coinbase wallet or like blockchain.info and you're always using a website and those interfaces aren't always i mean even though they're mostly responsive and or either like a mobile ad, um a mobile website it's not like just like touch and go where you just open, like turn on your iphone and you've got the icon there on your desktop so i think this is interesting and um, I think it will we'll be uh, good for iPhone users. I mean, I use an Android phone. Uh, most of the time, when I <laughs> tell someone about Bitcoin, the first thing I ask them is, what kind of phone are you using? And hope that they say Android, because if they're using an iPhone, like, I really don't know how to help them. So this might be a good option for uh, iPhone users. What do you think, uh, Jaron?
1: Yeah, I think this is super, super exciting news, because um, uh, you know, uh, if I mean, I, I, hate to admit it, but, um, you know, a lot of people have iPhones and the majority of people who use Bitcoin have iPhones, uh, per discussions with blockchain. And, you know, we, we have to get, uh, Bitcoin apps into, into the hands of, of iPhone users. So, um, I, I think that people like, uh, I'm, I met the Fiva guys at, uh, um, Coin Summit last week, and uh, you know they were showing me their app and uh, how to how to download it on your iPhone. And you know they were kind of the first guys to uh, um, you know find a way to uh, you know get you know legitimately get past a- Apple's restrictions. Um, it's ne- not quite as easy to download as just going to the app store, but it's really not that bad. And uh, and so, you know, I think, I really hope that people in the space can continue to uh, find legitimate uh, workarounds like this because um, when we can do that, that frankly has to be one of the things holding Bitcoin back is uh, is the fact that, you know, people can't really innovate on on the iPhone app level. And that's such a big use case. I mean, It's it's like kind of why we're, it's half the reason why we're using Bitcoin is because it can integrate so easily into your mobile phone. And, you know, what kind of uh, VC right now is going to invest in someone saying, hey, I'm going to create a wallet service for iPhone. Like, you know, it's just a a non-starter. So, you know, if you can, you know, start, if we can start seeing things like this work, uh, you know, I think that there will be a network effect there too because the really good apps are just going to be so widely uh, talked about by people, um, just because I think there's uh, such scarcity in the in the iPhone world right now. I mean, I still have my my uh, blockchain app, and now I have FIBA as well. But uh, you know, it's like blockchain hasn't—they weren't able to update their app for uh, you know, it must have been two years. Yeah, uh, you know, and, uh, and they wanted to, but they just you know, couldn't. And it, uh, it, it kind of sucks that there aren't any, any great iPhone apps right now. But, you know, if people can keep pushing forward like this, that that'll change. And, you know, then we can really can get back to expanding Bitcoin. The other side of that, though, is like, you know, you really want the, uh, uh, the squares of the world to be able to integrate Bitcoin as well. And, you know, you can see tangibly now that they have a desire to do that. Um, you know, if, if I think Apple is, is a, is a roadblock there. So, you know, we, we have to find a way to, to overcome
0: that. Yeah. I'm surprised that uh, other wallet, uh, Providers like blockchain haven't uh, went down this track. I mean, because it's just a web app. It's just like you—you you, a web app is not hard to build from the front end side if you have the back end for it. Uh, I, I don't know why uh, blockchain hasn't done this already. Uh, it would be super easy for them to implement, given like the, the 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 infrastructure that they have already and the I guess kind of technical null uh, knowledge of their. Average customer, which is probably like quite knowledgeable about this kind of stuff, um, and plus it's not that hard to install a web app on your on your on your home screen. Like they could just like as soon as you go on on uh, blockchain.info on your phone, uh, you would just have this little pop up that says like, okay, so click here to install this on your on your on your uh, home screen. So yeah, this is re- really interesting. Um, I think I think though that it's just um it is kind of a uh a temporary solution because in the long run we're going to need some more um uh we're going to need some better solutions and some more uh i guess better integrated with the OS solutions and i don't see apple uh staying like putting uh, implementing this ban on bitcoin apps forever I think they're doing it right now as a precautionary measure, but as the U S government and other governments around the world are um, starting to come out with regulatory guidelines and uh, where Bitcoin is being more and more accepted, I guess as a legitimate uh, forms of value transfer, um, they'll probably at some point turn around and, you know, to come back on a discussion from a while ago, once Apple, opens up their doors to Bitcoin, I think that will have an effect on price uh, along with like other companies like Amazon and such uh, accepting it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Do you have an iPhone or what do you use? Unfortunately, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Well, uh, I can't wait to try this. Um, I don't have an iPhone, but I'll definitely try to... Try it on one of the phones that I have at my disposal. Yeah, so I guess the last thing we could talk about is uh, the upcoming New York conference, which uh, you will be attending, I think you said. Yeah, I'll be speaking at it. So the conference is April 7th and 8th, so that is tomorrow, starting tomorrow. Yeah. Well, this airs on the 7th, so it'll be starting today as you're downloading it on your, uh, so, uh, tell us about the conference and what, uh, you'll, you'll be taking part in, in a roundtable discussion.
1: Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll be chatting with, um, a few other, uh, Bitcoin exchange operators. Um, we'll be, we'll be talking about, uh, you know, the future of Bitcoin exchanges. So I think, you know, we'll be covering uh, a variety of topics. Uh, I think, like what the technology is that exchanges will will need over the next five years. Um, uh, you know, I think the exchanges today are are just you know, when when we go five years from now and look at the technology we had, it'll I think be um, pretty pretty minor uh, versus like the the cool stuff we'll be doing at that point. Um, especially as multi sig is starting to develop now. Um, that's actually a big thing that we're, we're doing right now is talking to a lot of the multi sig, uh, wallet, uh, developers and providers about, um, our, our own implementations. Um, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll probably touch on altcoins. I know, uh, Paul Vernon is, uh, is gonna be part of our discussion. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I think it, It'll be a really interesting chat, um, you know. We're we're kind of on the uh, the inside of it, so it's you know a lot of the problems. Kind of it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, there 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 are a lot of interesting issues you face once you uh, actually start an exchange because ultimately, you know, it sounds really easy. It's like okay, let's just create something that, um, you know. People can come to make a deposit and then match trades together and how hard can that be? And, you it's know, it turns out it's really complicated. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, wish I had known that. Um, and, uh, and so. You know, I think, I think we'll probably just talk about, um, some of the challenges that companies like, like ourselves face, whether it's, uh, security and then really implement, uh, innovating. Because anytime you're innovating in Bitcoin, there are huge, uh, security consequences to that. So I think, you know, we'll probably chat about, um, multi sig and how, and implementations we, uh, we, you know, look to do with that. Um, that, that's, by the way, one of the things I'm most excited about right now is, Um, A year ago, when you uh, went to conferences, um, it was kind of like the same thing. Like everyone was starting an exchange or a payment processor, and then anyone starting a creative company around Bitcoin. You just kind of looked at them and you are like, "Is this this, is this really like something people will use?" And uh, and now you know people. You know you kind of have more or less. You know who the exchanges are going to be in the space. and now you're starting to see people really developing on the protocol level um, people you know working on different companies kind of on that level and then uh, also multi-sig uh, uh, wallet providers and you know there's some really good ones coming out who have products that they're testing actively right now and and that to me is just super super exciting because um, you can really I think reduce the uh, the risk involved in a lot of uh, Bitcoin withdrawals and and transfers uh, through technology like that.
0: So, uh, what uh, can you just kind of walk us through what a multi-signature implementation of an exchange would look like?
1: Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, it
1: totally depends on on. I, I think there are a lot of ways that this will go, but on the most basic level, you know, you're going to do either a two of two or two of three multi-sig wallet and uh, and you know. Have you know some sort of uh, black box that you know you sign transactions with, and then uh, maybe the customer has their own through a client they possess, or uh, just their iPhone or something. Uh, or you could have like a, a third party. Like there are different who you know has fraud monitoring software. You know they're they're different. It's it's like so early days on this, but you know you can kind of. In, I think it's easy for people to intuitively see that. Um, You know, having uh, two signatures and uh, two signatures, two people operating like in different places and different under different like, you know, reasons why they sign a transaction or don't sign a transaction. Like you can kind of see why that will make Bitcoin a lot more secure versus just having like, you know, a hot wallet on on like you're on some server that is obviously, ha- I mean, has to touch your, uh, your internet somehow. Like it's not, it's not to say that, um, it, it's, uh, like super easy to, to get into. Like, I think there are ways you can create a non multi-sig wallet in a secure way as well. But, um, just bringing that, that second point, that second, uh, authentication point on board, uh, will, will make a big difference in terms of, um, how the likeliness that, that, uh, someone can successfully hack in this space.
0: And this kind of, th- this really changes your, your infrastructure. I mean, cause right now an exchange, I mean, it has to have uh, cold storage for this reason, right? So uh, r- when you implement multi-signature wallets, um, y- y- you almost don't need to have cold storage anymore. Am I right? Or, Um, you know,
1: yeah, I would say I share that, that view, um, there, maybe you'd want to have
0: it for uh, just kind of, um, well, uh, the best security possible, but once you have multiple signature wallets, then that, that problem kind of goes away.
1: Yeah. I mean, it depends on if you want to settle on or off the blockchain, right? So, um, if you're, if you, if you want to settle on, which frankly I think is really cool stuff, um, you know, you, you, everything's a hot wallet, but it's just, uh, a, a, a relatively secure hot wallet. Um, otherwise, you know, you can stick the majority of your funds in, you can bundle everything and stick everything into a cold wallet and then, uh, say, okay, well, we're going to keep, you know, this percent of our funds that we feel okay having in a hot wallet, uh, you know, online. But the, the good thing is, is that over, over the, the, You know, as as we continue to build out this infrastructure as an as an industry, um, the I think idea of having a hot wallet is is going to become much more um, uh, much more like a much more comfortable idea versus what it is now. Because if you can't have things on an automated hot wallet, then I mean, like you're you're also kind of diluting Bitcoin. So you know, uh, I think number one is make sure you never get hacked, and that that's a huge huge priority for us. Um, which is, you know, why we and a lot of other exchanges have, uh, you know, manually uh, manually verify withdrawals. Um, but over the long run, you know, you want to be able to send out a withdrawal in a second, mm. and uh, and uh, that, I do believe that will happen strongly. But uh, it's it multi sig and possibly scripting on top of that are, are things that are are needed to do that. Uh, safely
0: so i want to get your your impression on this so th- this whole question of on off the blockchain like should exchanges uh be transparent about where your funds are um and have on blockchain uh transactions where you can trace your funds as uh as someone who uh, operates an exchange what are your thoughts on this do you think that this is a good idea or do you think that exchanges should uh, have their funds bundled up together in a cold storage wallet Mm, I mean, I, I'm not. Uh, I, in the best case world, uh, a lot of people
1: disagree with me on this. By the way, but uh, in in a best case world, I think you leverage the blockchain as much as possible. You settle everything on the blockchain, but you know there are fees involved with that. There are huge technical complications uh, if you're operating an exchange. Um, just think about partial fills and how that is settled and how you do this uh, without fraud, risk, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, you can never have your cake and eat it too. And mm. this is certainly one of those cases. So, you know, I would I wish that everything could just be settled on the blockchain. Maybe in the future that will be the case. Um, but for, for the time being, uh, I think that you'll continue to see things uh, kept in cold storage. Um, you know, a lot of... Uh, Um, if you can do your hot wallet really well, I think that that's the, that kind of hits the, um, the strong point of like value proposition that people want. Like if you can get a withdrawal and you can do it immediately, um, and you have confidence in, in, uh, you know, the firm's assets, like maybe you can see the firm's assets are, are there fully backed and all this stuff that we've learned from the Mt. Gox crisis. Um, you know, if, if you can do all of that then uh, I, I don't know that people value the blockchain settlement as much. Although it is nice to have, because it always is nice to see your Bitcoins on the blockchain.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is what a lot of people have been saying, right? It's, it's, you should have access to your, you know, exchanges should give you access to your private keys. But this, like you said, this uh, makes it very technically and well, technically challenging for the exchange. I guess, like, the other thing that I wanted to ask you is, so this, the Mount Gox uh, fiasco has kind of taught us um, a few lessons and there had seemed to be sort of a coming together of uh, exchanges um, when uh, Coinbase and a whole bunch of other exchanges got together and wrote that letter um, and kind of... Um, uh coming together to say you know we're not going to be operating like this so where do you think we're going in terms of standards like are exchanges eventually going to come together and kind of build these standards of quality and trust and transparency and any exchange that um uh that follows those standards would be a trustworthy exchange and anybody any, any exchange that, that's that doesn't you would have to kind of uh watch out for. Where do you think standards are going in exchanges?
1: Um, it's uh, a very good question and complex one. Uh, something like that will happen,
0: yes. See, I, um, I, I get the I. I maybe I, I'm an idealist, but I would like to think that exchanges would auto-regulate. You know that there would be some sort of a, and I mentioned this before on the podcast that there would be some sort of a a, a standard authority. Um, A consortium of exchanges that comes together and says, like, this is how we're going to operate our businesses. These are the principles on which uh, we will operate our business, and these are the levels of transparency. You know, some of the things you mentioned, like for instance, being able to trace the company's assets, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I cut Um, you off. (laughs) uh,
1: That's all good, man. Uh, So I mean, in the end, you have to realize that we're all competitors and we all have uh, we all have different business models and we also don't want to disclose some of the things that we're working on to each other. So that, to me, has been one of the biggest holdbacks in, uh, in seeing a lot of the self-regulatory stuff happen in the space. Not to say that it won't, because there are certain things that we will and have to come together on. Um, But I I find that to be a challenge. And then at the same time, like we all in the U S have a money transmitter, uh, 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 licensing requirement. And if that's the case, like we can go out and try to make our own SROs and our own, and these are things that we are going to continue doing, but like we can go out and try to do that. But in the end, the quickest way to market is going to be getting the licensing that's already, uh, available, already been created, you know, you, you already have the money transmitter designation. Now does money transmitter, uh, uh, laws, do they, uh, fit Bitcoin space cleanly? Mm, There are tons of cases where they definitely do not. So that's an issue, but, uh, you know, the, it, it's, it's going to be very, it's not super realistic to, um, to say that like we won't be regu- – I mean SROs are usually created because uh, the government, the U.S. government uh, 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 decides to regulate an industry. So what's, then, a, what's an
0: SRO just for international yeah, yeah, listeners and for myself? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> An SRO is a self-regulatory organization. Okay. And, uh, and so it's, you know, basically, uh, all of the companies in an industry come together. Yeah, what I
0: was talking about just now.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the reason why these exist is because the government, uh, you know, decides it wants to regulate something and then, uh, you know, creates a, 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 a branch or a, uh, um, uh, trying to, like maybe a committee to uh, to regulate that industry, but then they, for various reasons, pass it the actual oversight off to an SRO, which uh, has good and bad things associated with it. So you know you you kind of see a little bit of that happening, but in the end, there's like a very clear regulatory framework behind that, and I'm not sure that they're going to create. A separate, uh, you know, a separate uh, um, uh, regulatory body for Bitcoin and digital currencies. I think we're going to kind of fall under. We already have our, our licensing requirement, and so now you know things are going to be created around that money transmitter regime. Uh, so you know, the it companies should regulate themselves. They should feel a responsibility to do things in the best way possible and to release. Uh, you know, documentation on their security practices, on on all these things that people find to be important. And I think in the Bitcoin space, you also see um, you know uh, a a uh, a lot of innovative ways that we we disclose uh, assets, for instance, cryptographically, for instance. Um, so uh, you know, I think our industry will be different, but at the same time, uh, you know, just saying that in in the U.S. at least, that you know we'll we'll be able to. Operate, and you know the government is going to take a hands-off approach to us. I mean, the 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 licensing requirements are already there, so you know that's not the case. And um, you know you can't just kind of, for the most part, make up your own uh, uh, you know licensing or regulatory bodies. Um, And SR is the closest thing to do there. And you know we're we're uh, uh, an active member in data ourselves but in the end like when, when we look at the licensing we're going after especially on the federal level um it's it, you know we're not we're not pushing data we're trying to um you know find a home with a regulator who uh you know an already existing regulator who will um uh accept us
0: so i'm going to give you the opportunity now to maybe kind of plug Coinsetter and uh Tell us how you know how CoinSetter is different from other exchanges and why we should trust you. <laughs> no, yeah. but I mean what what, what kind of things are, are you doing to uh um uh well reassure your customers that you're you're not gonna get hacked. Um I guess I'm kind of hinting at the Mt. Gox uh fiasco, but what 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 kind of things do you put in place to make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen? You
1: know, I think uh, anyone who's interested in, in learning more about our security procedures, um, you know, we uh, we have a, a large, lengthy post about them on on our our site, which I highly encourage people to read, and it goes through uh, you know everything from how we secure our bitcoins to uh, you know uh, our internal uh, practices, who has access to um, uh, different parts of our platform, and um, I think anyone who you you know, we're, we're, anyone who looks at our platform, uh, you know, kind of on a diligence level tends to, I think, come away pretty, uh, pretty impressed. Um, so I certainly, uh, I mean, right now I, I am really, really confident in, in our security and, and, uh, um, you know, especially on the Bitcoin side, which is just, something that, you know, easily keeps you up at night. So, um, so, you know, I think on that level, uh, you know, we're, we're definitely um, better than a lot of the other exchanges out there. Um, you know, on, I, I think the reason why people would want to use us though, is, you know, if you've ever used a Bitcoin exchange and, um, you know, had a lot of downtime or had a trade that got filled in a very weird way or Um, You know, you contacted customer support and you didn't get a response for a week or, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, dealt with a company that uh, had uh, bank options that, you know, disappeared the next day. These are all things that we excel at. Like we, these are all problems. We wanted to create a company that people could, you know, an exchange that people could just had super high standards and was high quality, high performance, and a just a really great system and uh, and that that's what people get with Coinsetter and you know I think as as uh, you know uh, you know we right now do anywhere from uh, you know kind of fifty to a thousand BTC a day. This last week we probably had uh, three days where we did around three hundred BTC um, of volume. So you know I would kind of put us uh, we we've only. Uh, been on the market for a couple of months now, um, but, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, I, we're definitely building up traction and, and uh, you know, I think the people using our platform are, are seeing that, you know, this is, you can, you, with us, you kind of can have your cake and eat it too. You know, we, I think we've really just spent a lot of time and money on building something that, that's high quality.
0: Spoken like a true CEO. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I think we're gonna we're gonna end it there. Um, So you'll be speaking at uh, at Inside Bitcoins New York tomorrow from five thirty to six. So the the uh, talk is uh, the future of Bitcoin of crypto exchanges. You'll be speaking with uh, you'll be on that panel with Jesse Powell and Paul Vernon, and it's being. So Jesse Powell, CEO and co-founder of Kraken, and uh, Paul Vernon, the uh, CEO and founder of Cripsy. And that panel is being moderated by Ken Majmoudar, founder and chief investment officer at Ridgewood Investments. Um, well, I hope you have a good conference.
1: Thank you. Yeah, well, uh, I'll be at this one. Um, the the uh – networking events start tonight and you know, we'll be meeting with a lot of uh, other companies in the space and then they, it's pretty much a nonstop, uh, uh, two days, uh, you know, Wednesday I get to actually get some work done at my office and then, uh, and then, uh, head to DC for uh, the data conference, which should be really good because it's an opportunity for, for us as an industry to, um, you know, meet with, uh, uh, regulators uh explain our businesses to them um you know hopefully uh you know you know hear hear their thoughts but also kind of tell them you know issues we're confronting and you know what we need them to do to uh to help us uh succeed
0: cool uh so you're heading there tonight right
1: Uh, tonight I'll be in New York city and, uh, I'll be at the New York city conference for the next couple of days and then, uh, head there on Wednesday and, um, I'll be there for, through Friday.
0: Cool. Okay. Uh, well, be sure to, uh, tell everybody there that you're on episode of Bitcoin so they can listen to that episode and, uh, say, say hi to everybody for us from the, from the other side of the pond. (laughs) All right. I'll be, I'll be sure to do that. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks a lot, John, uh, for coming on again. uh, I'm not going to keep you any longer. And uh, it was really great talking to you. And uh, I think uh, we had some really interesting discussions. Um, So... I just want to say again to all our listeners, if you could head over to iTunes and give us a review, that'd be great. Also, you know, send us your feedback, uh, epicenterbitcoin at gmail.com, your comments, questions, anything you want us to talk about on the show, anything you want us to cover, any guests you'd like us to have on. Um, we definitely want to try to get more guests on because, uh, it's really been uh, interesting to have people, you know, different people from the Bitcoin community uh, come on last, these last few weeks. Also, if you want to tip us, that's epicenterbitcoin.com slash tip. We've had some problems with, I think, our Dogecoin and Litecoin addresses, and weren't good because some people have told us that they weren't valid. So I'm going to change those, make sure they work, and um, also follow us on Twitter, Epson or btc and you can find us on Facebook at uh, facebook.com/slash EpsonerBitcoin. So uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.